is good people. This is your man, Kyle Means, editorial director of WeAreRegalRadio.com, War Media. And uh, as I promised you, we have a special segment for this week's Bear Necessities podcast. Uh, the one and only Jack Silverstein, a good friend of ours uh, from, uh, you know, Dean Davis show on now on through, uh, you know, everything involved with Regal. Uh, you know, Jack's been a great supporter and a friend over the past several years. And he's uh, definitely the man in our city when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, this well-rounded sports journalism and sports historian, uh, you know, uh, perspective. And he's been doing a great job, you know, for a long, for quite a while uh, documenting the Bears throughout the years. Uh, he's a definite must-follow on social media. Uh, you know, I read Jack on Twitter and uh, a shot on Elo on uh, all one word on Instagram. Uh, Jack, we're glad to have you, man. Your first time on the Bear Necessities podcast and uh, first time on War on Anchor and our setup as uh, our, our latest setup. But uh, how right. you doing, man? Right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm glad you glad you're coming on and. This is a great time to have you. I'm glad you're you're free because I know you're getting hit up quite a bit uh, this week. And you know, <laughs> given what's happened this week, though, this is the main reason why I want to get you on. But uh, you know, you really uh, were able to, sh- you know, observing you this week really uh, did a lot of good for me, and I think a lot of us in the uh, in the sports journalism community here in Chicago. Because, uh, you know, you really did something that made an impact. And uh, it, it showed this week with the Bears. And, uh, you know, before, you know, we get into all that, maybe you could just give us the backstory uh, about for those for those who don't, who, of our, in our audience who aren't up on everything that, is, that has happened, you know, give us the backstory on uh, what you wrote about and, you know, how the Bears uh, have seemingly responded to it. Yeah, definitely. So I wrote about the team's throwback jerseys that they're going to wear, excuse me, throwback uniforms, as Paul Lucas from UniWatch says, uh, (laughs) going to wear this week against the Minnesota Vikings. They are from 1936. They look very similar to our normal white jerseys as far as the tops uh, with the the change is that there are four stripes on each shoulder, orange and navy. They are also um, are also known with these uh, with these candy cane big stripe socks and a different style of helmet, like the University of Michigan helmet, but in Bears colors. And the team announced these in June on June seventh at the big hundred year. Uh, celebration reunion that they held. Kyle Fuller and Tariq Cohen came out to model them. And pretty immediately, there was a great deal of buzz around the jerseys because they look cool, I think. I mean, some people think they look whack. I think they look cool. I agree with and, you. I think I think they look great. And and we'll as as we go along, I, I want to talk a little bit about the whole, uh, you know, the disconnect that, you know, some of us had, of course, of, of our 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 black the black bears fans among us given what you unearthed and yeah, you know the the so, the coolness of the jersey but no go ahead go ahead yeah yeah so so there was a buzz around that and the other piece of the buzz was that the jerseys are a historical anomaly most throwback that the bears wear and that I think most teams wear tend to be tied to an era so the jerseys that we have that are navy with the block orange numbers and letters those are honoring the night those are from the 1940s right the orange jerseys that we have are really just an homage to a number of different orange jerseys that the team wore throughout their first four decades but this jersey was specifically one year 1936 so i started reading up on that one just looking into what the team did they went nine and three had a heartbreaking end of the year with losses to the lions and the cardinals and i was looking for photos of the jerseys from that time a week later i saw a tweet um about from a a chloe silvers that's 
at C-H-L-O-E-S-Y-L-B-E-R-S. And she wrote about Joe Lillard. Joe Lillard was a halfback, a tailback. He was sort of, you know, before the modern quarterback, he was sort of what a quarterback was, but sort of what a halfback was. And he played for two years on the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, 1932 and 1933 was a star. He led the Cardinals in total yards in 93 in 33, excuse me, scored half their points. And his birthday was June 15th. And then uh, this woman had written about Joe Lillard, a little honored to him. But she noted that he was one of the final two black players in the NFL before the 12 year ban on players, on black players. And I was I was familiar with the fact that there had been a period um, where the NFL pushed black players out of the league, allegedly to um, placate the white fans. But I had never seen it written out in terms of the, the, the number of years, first of all. And... And, uh, and then I had also never heard of the players who were pushed out. So I heard of the players who reintegrated the league in 1946, Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. But I had never heard of the players who were pushed out, Joe Lillard and Ray Kemp. And that, um, and that, while I was in the heart of all this research on the 1936 jerseys, that really was... That was the connecting of the dots because then I realized, okay, 1936 was the third year of this 12-year ban. And that means that Kyle Fuller and Tariq Cohen were the first black players to ever wear these jerseys. Yeah. And from there, I just I was off and running and I wanted to learn more about the ban. And again, when the NFL tells the story, they tell it about George Preston Marshall, who was the one of the founders and then became the longtime sole owner of the Boston. They were the Boston Braves, and then he changes the name to the Boston. Are they, they are now the Washington football team, the team we played last week. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> The slurs, as we call them. Yeah, exactly, the slurs. So George Preston Marshall, as I say, was, let's put it this way, racist even for the 1930s. Um, his, a little bit about him. He... Uh, was the last holdout to integration in the NFL, didn't integrate the Washington football team until 1962. He famously said that his famous quote is, we will hire black players when the Harlem Globetrotters hire white players. Hmm. And there's a lot more I could say about George Preston Marshall, but I think those two, that fact and that quote pretty much gets the job done. Sure. So the story of the band as the NFL told, it was always attributed to George Preston Marshall and it was attributed to the Great Depression. But I started looking at the actual numbers of black players in the NFL and it was a huge drop-off from 1926 and I, between 26 and 27. And I'm like, okay, well, that's three years before the Great Depression, so that's not a factor. And that's five years before... George Preston Marshall was an owner in the league. So that's not a factor. So then I'm thinking, all right, this was obviously already happening. Additionally, um, I felt like uh, I had identified this owner's meeting in February of 1933 where they changed a bunch of rules. They added uh, several rules to help make the game more entertaining and help the fan experience. And I, and I identified this time. I was like, I bet this is when this unofficial black ban was implemented or when it was floated or when it was somehow agreed upon. And at that time, George Preston Marshall, he was coming off his first year as an owner. He didn't have the the voice to be able to truly strong arm all of these other established owners plus the league president unless they wanted to be a part of it. And that's when I started to then think, all right, well, who would have, who would he have needed to co-sign and that's when I came around to George Hallis because George Hallis was the owner of the rating NFL champions. He was the longest running NFL owner. He's the only one who was at the 
1920 meeting in Canton, Ohio, that kicked off the NFL. He was, and this is critical, he was the chairman of the Rules Committee, and he and George Preston Marshall were friends. They had a long-running friendship and a long-running rivalry, but the friendship ultimately stood the test of time. And it was this sort of realization that this um, Chicago hero that that the NFL had kind of removed him from his culpability and uh, his participation in and benefit from and steering of this shameful period. And not just Hallis, but a bunch of other people whose names are as hallowed in NFL history and in their cities as Hallis is in Chicago. So the Mara family with the Giants. Um, not long after the 33 meeting, the Pittsburgh Pirates became a team. They became the Pittsburgh Steelers, owned by Art Rooney. The Rooney family still owns the Steelers. You had uh, David, uh, Dr. David Jones sold the Cardinals to Charles Bidwell in 33, the, or in 32, no, in 33. The Bidwell family still owns the Cardinals. You had Bert Bell launching the Philadelphia Eagles. He went on to be NFL commissioner. He's got a, an MVP trophy named after him. So of course, you had Curly Lambeau with the Packers. Now, the Lambeau family doesn't own the Packers. We know they're owned by the uh, by, by the citizens of Green Bay. But right. gosh, there's no name. I would argue there's no name in, uh, in the history of the NFL with as much iconography attached to it as Lambeau. Maybe more than that. Hallis because of Lambeau Field. Um, I don't know, Lambeau and Hallis as names, they're, they're neck and neck. You could make an argument for either one. Definitely, definitely. So you had all of these all of these huge names and figures and re- people who are revered in the NFL, and the only one who was targeted as the leader of this was George Preston Marshall. Now, obviously, he was a uh, I can't use the word I'm thinking of um, because it'd be inappropriate. But I'm just, I'm thinking of, think of whatever curse word you want for a person. That's what I'm thinking of. And (laughs) he was a real, he was a, you know, he was a real piece of, you know what? Yeah. But, um, and certainly he led this and reveled in it and did the most work to maintain it. But something like this doesn't happen at the will of one man. And George Preston Marshall has become a very convenient scapegoat and boogeyman. And it lets all these other, all these other people off the hook. And what I wanted to do with my article was to bring them back into the circle of responsibility and say they were part of this, they benefited from it, they uh, sustained it. And you know, if the black, uh, if the ban on black players was all that was keeping these teams from integrating, then their histories would be very different. But Remember, the Bears started in 1920. The ban ended in 1946. The Bears didn't integrate until 1952. Mm. The Giants um, started in 1925. And and they, you know, and again, like the Giants to this day are co-owned by the Mara family. Um, and, and they didn't integrate until, I believe, 19... 19- 50, uh, the Packers not until 50, the Eagles not until 48. So, um, yeah, the Giants, sorry, the Giants, the Giants were 48, uh, the Eagles were 52, the Packers were 50, the Bears were 52. So it wasn't just this band that was keeping black players from these teams. These teams were doing this before and they continued to do it after. And it was something that I thought we should wrestle with. Um, so I piece and we published it on when you see the gridiron in August and had a really nice reception. People really dug it. But what snowballed was really when Reverend Jesse Jackson found it. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I got a direct message from Santita Jackson, who is his uh, producer and co-host. And she is a host uh, of a show herself. And she's uh, the Reverend's daughter, and she got in touch with me and said that Reverend Jackson found the story, that he was, quote, compelled by the research. And I came on his show, um, and I did Santita's show. And on the Reverend's show, 
Chris Broussard from Fox Sports 1 and Jim Rose from ABC Chicago were on. I then did Chris Broussard's show, and then Jim Rose said that he was going to take this issue into Hallis Hall and request an interview with George McCaskey. Now, I don't know exactly what flipped, but um, on Tuesday, we saw that the Bears released the videos with George McCaskey and five players, the Social Justice Committee, and they said, you know, we're, we're excited about these jerseys, we're going to wear them this week, but they also have this bad history, here's the history, and... Um, and we are going to auction off game-worn jerseys uh, and, and donate proceeds to the organizations that they support. So I don't know exactly what happened. Um, the, the, the reporting from the Sun-Times and from others that I've seen is that George McCaskey brought this issue to the players, not just these five members, but the entire team and said, here's the deal. This is, this is what happened. This is how the Bears were involved. Um, you know, I'm not... Uh, we're, we're going to wear the jerseys, but I want you to know the history. You might get questions about it. And then from that, the players decided this is how they wanted to respond. That's at least the story that I've heard. That's what's out there. Um, I don't know if it was Jim Rose who was asking uh, for an interview that led George McCaskey to do this. I know that George obviously knew that I was doing the story because I had reached out to him for an interview, which he had respectfully declined. Um, and instead, he sent PDFs of the team's centennial scrapbook that they published this uh, summer, and and that the the pages of the PDF, the scrapbook that addressed this. So he sent that to me, which I thought was cool. Um, so I know he knew about it, and I had told their PR that I was, you know, a standing offer to George McCaskey if he wanted to do an interview. So I don't know if it was my work directly. I don't know if it was Jim Rose. I don't know if it was. So Reverend Jesse Jackson wrote a, um, a column for the Sun-Times a couple days after I was on his show, and that was widely syndicated. I don't know if it was that. Um, but whatever happened, the Bears clearly put out the jerseys. They either thought to themselves, we have this history, but that's eh, okay, no one will find out. Or they didn't even realize, or like they, they didn't process it, or they didn't think about it, or they didn't review it, or they didn't, you know, they just... We're like, these look cool. Whatever it was that happened, they put them out in June. I published a story the last week of August, and here we are in September, um, a couple days before they wear the jerseys, and something clearly changed internally that made them release this video. And to their credit, and to George McCassie's credit, to the players' credit, they chose to do this. And the fact that they did it is what has blown this way, way up. Because as much as the article, my article was, um, you know, well-researched, powerful, uncovered a lot, and it, and it was, well, the response was great, but the response wasn't as overwhelming as this. And by putting out that video, they made this an even... I mean, a 10x story than it was, and you know, I got a call. I got a call last night from a radio sports radio host in England from the BBC, um, and he wanted to talk about this. That tells you the reach. The the Sun Times and the Tribune wrote about this today, and they cited my story, but they wouldn't have done that if the Bears hadn't put out the video. So, uh, I, you know, I I applaud. George McCaskey for that. I applaud the players. Players are really excited. They're excited to be the first black players to wear the jerseys. Um, they didn't know about the history. They said that they didn't know about it until George McCaskey, or most of them didn't know about it until George McCaskey told them. So, you know, however this got to this point, George McCaskey has clearly leaned into it. And certainly, Part of this is economic. They have jerseys to sell. They, they have a great-looking product. They, they, it's very popular. They don't want to stop selling the jerseys. But at the same time, they, they could have ignored it, and I don't think it would have blown up. Um, it hadn't yet. It hadn't with me, Reverend Jesse Jackson, with Chris Broussard. I don't know if it would have with Jim Rose, but the, uh, the Bears leaned into it, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, and... You know, Jack, you're very gracious to give uh, McCaskey the credit 
and uh, the team the credit that you've just given them. And and I agree with you. They deserve that much for leaning into this history and acknowledging it and trying to do something to repair that uh, that the negativity that was brought on by uh, the those choices made in the past. But you know, you definitely set the set things in motion, and you knocked down uh, a domino, which knocked down quite a few dominoes. Uh, ahead of it and you know you deserve a lot so. of credit for that man and yeah, it, it, I, I think i think that's fair i don't no one had written about it at this level and um so i you know i don't know like you said i put it one domino down it led to others and that's the beautiful thing about um about journalism about research about history mm-hmm. you know um i don't think this would be where it was without Reverend Jesse Jackson, and I'd like to hear the backstory, but I, it's maybe Jim, I don't, I don't know yet what role Jim Rose played. Um, but I know that he was so steadfast. So it might've been, he might've been that last piece. Um, but at the, you know, the flip side of course, is that they wouldn't have had that ammunition had I not written this. So it's everybody working together and filling in all these, um, pieces and I, I think the number one response that I've seen, whether people are happy about the story or not, is people are just, I think, grateful to have a piece of history filled in and to have a greater knowledge of this period. Whether they think that, whether they excuse it or whether they now want to boycott the jersey, um, I think that at the very least, people are happy to know what happened and i still think that there are a lot of you know there are a lot of modern tie-ins um to this i think especially around colin kaepernick in a couple of ways Mm -hmm. one obviously that the story of joe lillard and of ray kemp um again the last two black players in the nfl before the ban i mean that that really matches colin kaepernick especially joe lillard who it seems like was on his way to the Hall of Fame. Um, and actually what I'm pushing for is for the uh, Lillard Kemp, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, and a black superstar named Duke Slater from the 20s who played a full career. He wasn't affected by the ban. Um, uh, but I, I would like to see the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame induct those five men into the Hall through the Seniors Committee, and there's an expanded class coming next year instead of the normal one to two seniors that they normally put in, they're going to put in 10. So I've reached out to the hall of fame. I'm hoping um, that something comes of that, but obviously there's that connection between Lillard and Colin Kaepernick. And that's a place where the bears still like the rest of the league um, are, are definitely guilty because the bears had a chance to add cap in 2017 and went after Mike Glennon and Mark Sanchez. And at this point, we're at a point where, you know, people are like, he's been out of football so long. Like, yeah, he might not be good, but he might be. And we're not, no, I don't think people are saying just hand the guy a a contract and a starting job, but give the guy a call for a workout. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, So there's that. But I think another really interesting element here that's unique to the bears in this situation is the concept of a distraction. And people say Kaepernick's a distraction, which is BS. Um, but I think that this is a really, um, nice piece of context with which, and, and a prism with which to see the Kaepernick distraction argument, because here's a team that basically created its own distraction. Because yeah, this correct. was not going to be a talking point. All right. So if the bears hadn't put out this video, Jim Rose was going to do his piece. Um, I was going to retweet my uh, article. I maybe would have done some more interviews. Maybe you still would have reached out to me because you and I know each other. Uh, but it, but today it's being it's it's Tribune. It's sometimes ESPN, Yahoo. Um, it's going to be in Sports Illustrated. Uh, like I said, BBC. Uh, I did Hogan Johns yesterday. Lawrence Holmes a whole segment on it yesterday um i'm trying to think of who else usa today fox and that's because of 
the video that they produced. The headline in all these stories is not, you know, or the driver is not like controversial history or racial history or whatever of the, of the jerseys. It's, it's Bears release video about. And the, the stories are about the players reacting to George McCaskey, not reacting to what I wrote, like directly. I mean, indirectly, yeah, but not directly. They're reacting to what George McCaskey told them. In other words, a team can weather any quote-unquote distraction that they choose. This Is this a distraction? I don't know. It's a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with the week of football that they're preparing for. It's about jerseys. It's about history. It's very important. But it has, it, but it's not X's and O's. It's not the depth chart. It's not injuries. So they've taken this story and they've turned it into a national and international story, but they're not worried about it being a distraction. And to me, that's a really interesting way to look at this because it just is a reminder that professional athletes, professional teams, franchises, schools, NCAA, these are professionals. They have the same amount of focus as a free throw shooter does when people are waving all the goofy thunder sticks at them right. on the free throw line. They have that level of concentration and focus. So this idea of what is or is not a distraction, it is very subjective. It's- and the Bears have leaned into something that by any other, uh, you know, but in any other way, it could be called a quote distraction, but they're not viewing it that way. So I think that's another really interesting angle um, and a way to connect this to Colin Kaepernick, a way to connect what's going on now to what went on years before. Definitely. Uh, essentially, like you said, these these organizations can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's right. That's, they, that's exactly right. You know, they can, they can be you know, socially minded and also go about the business that they want to go about, you know, winning games and making money and doing all these things. And, you know, we, when we look at the bears, this dates back to last year, this uh, committee, they formed the players committee and them being the first franchise in the league to uh, actively uh, to take action and apply funds to, uh, you know, two organizations in in the city of Chicago in the community, you know, they they really have set the tone, and you know, I haven't heard much about other organizations doing like minded things yet, but I would hope that you know, in with with their actions dating back to last year, and with especially with their actions this week, that other franchises will take will you know follow suit. Yeah, and, and I mean, to that end, the uniforms that the Packers wore just last week against Denver, um, which they also wore in 1994, those are from the, the first year of those jerseys was 1937, so mm. the fourth year of the ban. Yeah. And and the Packers, again, the Packers were an organization, um, uh, they weren't in the NFL the first year or the um, uh, APFA, but their AFPA, but the... Uh, but they were, but they did exist, and they did not integrate for their first three decades. Just like the Bears, just like you know the Giants. Yeah. So, so here's another team um, that is wearing jerseys right now in 2019 from that era. I chose to focus on the Bears because I'm a Bears fan. I think you should get your house in order first, and if you're going to speak out about somebody, you should have. Um, it should be your own people you know and the bears are my people right right. Um, but uh but the packers are are certainly an organization with the same amount of history as the bears and they have the same exact scenario right now so hopefully we see something from uh from them as well yeah some some wider acknowledgement would be nice on on behalf of other franchises and of the league in general because like that's that gets to a lot of what I think was very brave about what you did and simply unearthing this history because as, as football f- followers, I think a lot of us were, uh, you know, we did acknowledge the role that Marshall played in, in the past, you know, b- him owning the franchise that he owned allowed him to, 
you know, be pinpointed as a, as a source of divisiveness, a divisiveness uh, with a lot of football fans and the football culture of the past. You know, we, we you know some of that hit. It was easy for people to jump on him in that history. But you were, you know, you were able to see through that and say, look, it wasn't just him. It's not he's not just this. He's, it's not just this easy boogeyman who we've been able to pinpoint uh, as a racial uh, source of racial animus. And, uh, you know, this, and, you know, this color line that that existed in the past, which you know, though the color line itself in the NFL hasn't really been covered and uh you know it's broken down and you know historically like you know the MLB color line was of course you know that there's a whole lot of legacy and legend that's applied to the MLB color line but the NFL which is every bit the American pastime today that the MLB was when Jackie Robinson came along and broke that color line you know the NFL still has like you say its house a lot of things in its house that isn't in order, you know, and they need to, they need to, you know, it, it would be really nice if they would, uh, you know, look into that and, you know, acknowledge that. And especially during this year of celebration, this hundred year celebration where we're, you know, we're looking into, you know, so much of the history of the game and, the, the great players and the great legend the great teams the great eras that have passed there is there is also this era of of rate like of racial segregation that we have to acknowledge with the NFL and it's it's an unfortunate legacy part of that legacy of this uh you know of the NFL yep yeah absolutely I agree with you so yeah it's it's like just on that level, what you did was, like I say, very brave and very, uh, you know, very necessary. Uh, you know, just going back to your, to your post, the the initial post that you put up on Windy City Gridiron, and you know whether it is you or Jim Rose or Jesse Jackson or whoever, I would hope that, you know, McCaskey will follow, keep following up with these, with the positive acts that he's done this weekend, maybe. Uh, have a sit down with uh, a member of the press who can, you know, gleam some more, you know, uh, quotes out of him in regards to this, uh, to these jerseys and, and the legacy of his grandfather, of his, uh, yes, uh, uh, his grandfather, and uh, you know, and and the people who we dealt, who we was in business with back then in those days, so. You know, I, yeah. I I definitely would look, you know, hope that would be the case. But, uh, you know, I, I want to move on a little bit, and uh, definitely, you know, like saying, giving you your flowers with this po- with this piece that you did. Would you say first off that this is probably the most important piece that you've done as a journalist? I mean, certainly, uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it certainly it certainly had a real world impact that nothing I've written has had. I don't know that I've written anything that would have even had the possibility to have that kind of an impact. Sure. So in that, in that respect, yeah, absolutely. I'll yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's great to have that sort of thing as a journalist, but even, you know, I would have, I would advise anyone who's a Bears fan to look into your past work, you know, the, the work that you've done, and you know interviewing past players and you know uh you know writing about you know different moments in time be there you know certain you know be there individual plays or individual games or seasons you know jack is definitely a great uh source of bears knowledge throughout the throughout the years uh just i, I want to you know because i'm not i don't want to hold you on too long i know you got stuff to do but i just want to get you you know, sort of get some words from you about, you know, your connection to the Bears and how how meaningful it is for you to have this sort of uh, place in the in the Bears media right now. As you know, being able to you know, like I say, interview players and have friendships. I've seen 
people like Thomas Jones retweet you and stuff on Twitter and everything. You know, that has to be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to know some guys. Um, Tom is probably the closest one. Um, we talk pretty regularly uh, these days. Um, and uh, But Jason McKee, Pat Manley, Owen Krutz, um, Rasheed Davis, and some of, some of the others. Um, it's great. It's given me a, a great perspective on football, on the life of an athlete, on the NFL as a organization as a business as an institution as as a as a as a as a myth and as an icon you know everything that the nfl is so it's been cool um you know i'm a journalist i'm a historian i'm a researcher and i'm a bears fan i don't see the need to say that i'm one more than the other and and quite frankly i was a bears fan first so when i wrote this story and when i read other pieces of bears history i treat it with respect for my profession because um that's important that's part of where my um credibility comes from certainly but i'm also doing this because i I love the bears and uh you know it's the god is there any feeling better in sports outside of like really winning a championship or, or where your team is really doing well in terms of just regular but singular experiences when your football team wins on a set on a Sunday and then you go into that week just saying like man you know we did it I mean it's it's weird to say that but that's the feeling that you have as a sports fan so uh I love the Bears and um but you shouldn't you shouldn't shy away from something and the way that I find a lot of stories is just because I'm always reading I'm always looking watching just watching old games you never know what comes up so um when when something comes up like this uh, I, you know, I just felt like I had a responsibility as a fan, as a Chicagoan, as a journalist, as a historian to embrace it and take it on. So that's what I did. Definitely. And, and it could be hard to be, you know, objective when it comes to your teams and everything like that. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm thinking about the way uh, certain things have to fall on the shoulders of, uh, you know, maybe people of color when it comes to, you know, certain things with the NFL and and, our, and the individual franchise in the NFL. Like, I think, you know, when you look at the when you look at this whole Jersey situation, you know, for us, it could we could look at there's a couple of different ways we could look at. We could have looked at it as a source of something to really make us feel distasteful for the Bears. But so many of us don't want to feel that way, and you know, is is I think is is very is is I feel a sense of gratitude speaking on you know, on my behalf that the Bears like again that like I said they they rose to the occasion somewhat with this one, and there's room for them to do more, and hopefully they will do more. But uh, you know, in this case, they did do enough to to where you can feel guilt free reasonably. Is you no, know, they didn't pander to anything. They like I say they acknowledge the history, and they they're trying to use this as a learning situation and as a as a you know a plat you know a platform for them to do better, and that's I, I, that's really all we can do in the end when it comes to history like that. Yeah, definitely. I I think really when it gets down to it, what they did is they co-signed. Um, it's a co-signed fact into official record. Sure. This happened, but it wasn't part of the way that the NFL told its story. And uh, even if I come along and write something, Jesse Jackson, Jim Rose, Chris Broussard, um, I I talk to you, or I talk to Lawrence, or the... Um, the other writers who shared it, uh, Dave Zirin or uh, Chuck Modiano or uh, Professor Lou Moore, who I interviewed, or other historians um, who I've gotten to know, Neil Rosendahl and Chris Willis. It doesn't matter what all these people say it, uh, to a degree um, until, the, until the parties responsible say, yes, this happened. And it's kind of 
it's kind of so subtle that you don't realize what a revolutionary action that kind of acknowledgement is. Yes. The Bears in doing this, um, you're right, they can definitely do more. They still have their flaws. Um, Kaepernick being one, just everything around the NFL, um, you know, everything. I don't need to get into it, but, but, but what the Bears did here and what George McCaskey led and what these players led is that they they wrote this fact into the telling of the story. They acknowledged it. They said this happened. And now when Bears fans talk about these jerseys, they know that this happened. It's a part of it's a part of the history as it is told. A history is only as good as the record. Whether that record is oral, whether it's written, whether it's filmed, whether it's audio file, it's only as good as what people say and what people pass on and what people tell and what people embrace and acknowledge. And this was kind of in that respect, it was a pretty pretty seismic act by George McCaskey because this is now taken as record. And this this fact of this um, 12-year ban and who was responsible, who benefited, who acted, is part of the record now. Um, and I think that would not have happened if they hadn't made that video. So that's pretty cool. And it, w- it wouldn't have happened if you didn't write the write the initial piece. And That's right. That's right. But, but, no, that's right. I'll give myself credit where it's due. But even yeah. having written that piece, it's something that could have been ignored. Right, definitely. The, bear, the Bears didn't have to do what they did. And it validates what I wrote. It validates what Jesse Jackson wrote. It validates what Jim Rose uh, was doing or uh, Chris Broussard talking about it or our friends at Barbershare. Uh, net or um, or, or or the work of um, uh, the historian Thomas Smith, who everybody should look up, Thomas G. Smith, um, or Chloe Sobers. You know, it validates all of us and anybody else who has wanted to talk about this period right. uh, of NFL history. And and like you said earlier. They acknowledged this. They took it on, and you know the franchise didn't hasn't crumbled, and they're you know the the earth didn't spin off its axis or anything. And that's something that you know hopefully the NFL can learn from. Like like I said, when it comes to acknowledging things in its past and in the, and in its present regarding the treatment of you know people of color and the treatment of uh the treatment or application of certain issues of uh, social uh, import. So uh, we definitely got to acknowledge that. And, and you know, Jack, man, I, I, like I said, I really appreciate what you, what, you, what you do, man, always and continuing to do, you know, and, and you definitely did a great service with this, man. So you definitely should be applauded. And, um, you know, but, uh, before I let you go, though, man, uh, I just, I just wondering, man. I know you didn't get to see, you know, the the Bears uh, Monday. You were busy uh, with your softball league. You told me, but uh, how do you feel about the team this year? I mean, obviously the defense is wonderful. Um, I'm still, I'm still a little nervous about Trubisky, and it doesn't get into like comparing him to Mahomes or Watson or anybody else on his own terms. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a little bit nervous. <laughs> um, he's, he, he seems to, I don't know. I'm not a quarterback and uh, analyst, I, I, so you know, I'm just in that respect. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an astute fan. I'm a student, but he's, he's, he's had some, he's had some great closing drives. Uh, Detroit and Baltimore is rookie year. I certainly. Party into position in the playoff game, but still a little bit, little bit nervous in a league where passing numbers are so high that you know he goes and plays a terrible defense and throws what two hundred thirty-one yards. Um, so I'm still a little concerned, but overall, still very excited, still very hopeful, 
and and we're still growing, but uh, but I'm a little nervous. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there, man. And you know, this week is going to be quite a measuring stick against uh, Minnesota. And you know, we we know the guys will look good in the jerseys, but we got to hope that they play just as well as as they look. Because uh, you know, if they lose, I've I've seen some stats on Twitter uh, over the past couple of days. Uh, teams that lose their first two con- division games and lose their first two division games at home pretty much are exempt from the playoffs. So uh-huh. it won't be a good sign if they lose this week. But, uh, you know, it, at least they got other things going for them if, if, you know, even if uh, they they fail this week. But I, I think I think there's a chance that they could rise to the occasion this week. And, and maybe some of this stuff that's going on, you know, uh, maybe that could be a rallying point or, you know, a team building point, you know, the brothers got to feel a little bit better about themselves going out to represent the team this uh, week. So, yeah, you know, yeah, but that might, be, that might be right. But listen, overall, I'm still very confident, and and uh, I'm not writing. I'm not writing Trubisky off or Matt Nagy, sure. quite frankly. But sure. um, but I'm a little more nervous than I would like to be in a, in in week four at a point where we're coming off a division title, twelve win team. Um, I'm just a little more nervous than I would like to be. So that's that's what it is. I, that's, that's why we're that's why we're fans. We're masochists. Exactly, especially Bears fans. We, <laughs> we've we've uh, we've dealt with a lot of masochism over the years, definitely. But uh, <laughs> yep. but uh, uh, one more thing, though, man. I like I said, you know, you've been able to have the uh, pleasure of getting to know some past Bears, you know, uh, and and particularly from that from that last Super Bowl era. Uh, the the team that made the last Super Bowl in uh in Jam in uh like you know uh in 07, the 06, 07 season, I you know I, looking at this era current era, this is a pretty interesting era as well, and it, and it may borne out a lot of uh, interesting stories and storytellers from this team. If you know if you would pick if you could pick one guy right away. To from this current team that, to interview about, you know, in five years or so, or five or ten years down the line, who you, who would that be? Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks. I I don't even have to think twice about it. That one. <laughs> okay. Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks, who came in, uh, who came to the Bears in 2016, who immediately changed his uh, Twitter profile, not his profile, his like his cover photo, the one that the horizontal one that goes across the top. He changed it as soon as he came to the Bears to a, a picture of Dick Buckus. Um, okay. And that could be considered pandering, but it's just he has just embraced. It's been a couple of things. He's, he's embraced the team's history. He has embraced the city, embraced the culture. Obviously, he has played his ass off. Um, just a remarkable player, remarkable talent, a great leader. Um, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard anyone say a bad word about him, uh, whether as, as a player, as a, as a teammate, as a leader. He, he kind of strikes me as the Anthony Rizzo of this particular team, where I felt like when the Cubs won the World Series that Anthony Rizzo was like simultaneously excited for himself and his teammates and his coaches as a player, but kind of also excited for the fans as if he was also just a fan of the franchise having been through such hard times uh, when we acquired him from San Diego. And I felt that like there was this dual thing happening for Rizzo. And I feel like when the bears win the Super Bowl, that's what's going to, that's what it's going to be like for Akeem Hicks that he's like excited for himself, certainly. And for his teammates and his coaches, but kind of like, almost standing outside of it all with knowledge of the history and the fan base and the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois and, um, every, and, and, uh, everybody roots for the bears. So it would definitely be a key mix. No question about it. That's a real good answer, man. And, and, I, you know, thinking thinking about it, I think Akeem really is a guy who, even though he wasn't drafted by this team, he's very proud to be a Chicago Bear. 
And, you know, whether he finishes his career in there or not, I think he's going to be a guy who uh, Bears fans uh, are really going to hold dear for the rest of his uh, career and, uh, you know, and, and beyond, you know, as a retired player. So, yeah. yeah I, I agree. I agree. I I'm I look for I'm I'm sure you'll you'll get that done as uh, in some way and uh, I I look forward to you know seeing whatever uh piece you can make of a of a sit down with Akeem Hicks in the future man Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool. Yeah, so Jack man uh thanks again man for sitting with me. We, we've almost done an hour man. I didn't expect to talk this long but this uh, this is a great rolling. time man. I I'm, I'm glad uh, you had the time to do it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. I really enjoyed it. Jack Silverstein, y'all. Uh, you can read them on uh, Windy City Gridiron. Uh, well, else we can, we can read uh, Barber's Chair, other other platforms we can see you on. Yeah, I'm all around. I would just go to go to read Jack on Twitter. Um, Certainly. Yeah, that's that's the spot. And like you said, a shout on Elo on Instagram, Chicago Sports History and stuff. Definitely, definitely. The man. This is this is who you want to know. If you want to know uh, his history, and uh, not only the the established history, but history in the making here in Chicago sports, uh, read Jack Jack Silverstein, man. Much love, bro. Uh, pre, like I said, appreciate what you're doing, man, and uh, wish you the best. Thanks, brother. You too. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. All right. All right. That is uh, Jack Silverstein, and this is uh, Bear Necessities podcast sending it out on this one uh great to talk to jack and uh we'll talk to you guys soon as well uh definitely after the bears uh hopefully succeed against minnesota uh but uh one way or another me and ryan will be back next week with all 32 and bear necessities so uh keep hollering at us uh show us love and we'll show it right back bear down We'll be